Blog Talk Radio. today. Good love. Is your relationship everything you want it to be? Are you living a fulfilled, passionate life empowered with choices that ignite you to the next level? Good love makes your whole life better. So join America's good love doctor, Dr. Brenda Wade, on a journey to your healthiest life yet. A regular on Dr. Oz and Dr. Drew, she's appeared on Oprah, Good Morning America, and is featured in countless publications from USA Today to Essence Magazine. The creator of life-changing Get Unstuck Now, Love, Money, and Save a Seminars, she's counseled millions, but today she's here just for you with the hottest topics, guests, and trends. This is Good Love with Dr. Brenda Wade. And Dr. Wade will be joining us in just a second. Hello, can you hear me? Hello. Yes, Dr. Wade, welcome. Hi, my goodness, I've been talking to myself there for a couple of minutes. Hello, everybody, so glad to be with you. And tonight's show is going to be so much fun, and it's going to be very inspirational, too. We're talking about passion, power, and punch. And I don't mean the kind you drink. I do mean the kind that can hit you in the face. I'm your good love doctor, Dr. Brenda Wade. And our guests today are two powerful women who found their true calling and joy after changing focus from the outside to the inside as they began to focus on what really mattered to them. Today we're going to talk about what it takes to live your life with passion, power, and punch. You're going to meet Dr. Melissa Grill-Peterson, who is a former, get this, worldwide wrestling personality. And she has punched her way literally to the top of the health and wellness movement. And later you're going to hear from a personal friend of mine, someone I cherish, who has garnered worldwide acclaim as a human rights activist and a high-powered attorney, Banafshe, uh, oh, I'm going to, Banafshe will help me with this, 
Akalagi, who is here to share how a meditation retreat, you might want to sign up for this one, listen to this, a meditation retreat led her to the man and now husband of her dreams. And as always, we are going to focus on why good love is essential to your greatness, how to identify your negative love patterns that have been blocking you from good love, how you can break the chains of what happened then so you can be free to experience what is happening right now. And we have a little mantra for our show, and that is, and I want you to say it with me, I am worthy. That's it. Breathe it in. I am worthy. And then I am deserving. Yes, you are. And I am unconditionally lovable. I am unconditionally lovable. I am worthy, I am deserving, and I am unconditionally lovable. Hold that because that's the cornerstone of good love. And that's what we all are working on growing is more worthiness, more feeling deserving, and more of that feeling and that knowing that we're unconditionally lovable. Now, if you want to join the conversation, we welcome your comments, your questions at 347-989-0776. That's 347-989-0776. Push one on your phone and Cliff, who's our moderator, will call on you and you can join the live discussion Or you can message us on Facebook or tweet us. Both are Dr. Brenda Wade. All right, get ready. Let's get ready to meet our first guest who has spent 18 years helping thousands of women create the health and the life that they love. She's a doctor of natural health and wellness. Melissa Grill-Peterson is the former world champion wrestling personality who isn't afraid to go for the win that gives her clients the victory. Dr. Melissa is also the author of Passion, Power, and Punch, Overcoming Overwhelm and Creating the Life You Love. And I'm going to give you her website right now because I know you're going to want to check her out. It's www.drmgp.com. All right. Melissa Grill-Peterson, welcome to the show. (laughs) Dr. Brenda, it's so wonderful to be with you. Thank you. Oh, it's a pleasure. Now, I will tell you straight up, you are the first uh, world wrestling, worldwide wrestling personality I've ever spoken with. Well, I'm so glad to be here first. (laughs) (laughs) So tell us how you got to... Worldwide wrestling, because that has to be a story. You know, I was actually just sharing the story a little earlier. A dear friend of mine asked the exact same thing. And um, it's something that found me. I didn't go looking for it, but it was definitely destined and, and meant to be part of my path. Um, You know, as we talk about passion, my passion for dancing and creative expression began when I was very small. And, um, and it led me through all of my years and into early adulthood, and I was blessed to be able to be in music videos and do some, you know, dance on stage in lots of different venues and dance teams and the Olympics. And, 
And, uh, and then one day I started to do choreography for one of the wives of the wrestlers who was a fitness competitor. And kind of lo and behold, some things were happening in the company. There was World Championship Wrestling and World Wrestling Federation at the time. And World Championship Wrestling, Ted Turner had just bought. And Ted is all about winning. He wanted to make sure that they were number one in the ratings. And he really put his mind to that. And, and within a short amount of time, it had become literally in the late 90s this phenomenon, this rebirth of popularity. And so the um, lady that I was working with had an idea, pitched it to the, uh, the CEO and said, hey, because they wanted to change the face of the female personality in wrestling. Because up until that point, most of the women were really seen as arm candy. And, you know, they, they didn't really get to contribute a lot, and it was very much a sex symbol versus showing any other dimension of just the, the female personality. And so Ted said, look, we're a family program, and I really want to have just a, a different persona for women. And this was the time the Spice Girls were really big, you know, and um, J-Lo had just made her break from earlier from the Fly Girls of In Living Color, and they said, you know, we want to have a diverse group of women that can go out there and stand their own against these men but perform in a new way. They're like, we want female dancers. We want these personalities that can become the pretty side of wrestling, the promotional side of wrestling, the, the girls that will go out and do the press junkets and will get on camera and will talk and will dance and will entertain the crowd and really engage children women, men, families across the country. Oh, this is interesting. So you really came to it through dancing, and this became more of an entertainment. Now, were you actually wrestling? Yes, I was. So it took quite a twist and turn. So like you said, it is a good story. So it first sought me out for the dancing. So I was the choreographer. I helped to get the group together, and I was one of the main original Nitro Girls is what we were called. And then as the ratings did different things in WWF and WCW, WWE now, as they competed, um, it became a real battle in the ratings. And so then they decided, hey, we've got to get more racy because that's what they're doing over there. We have to do more shock value. So they broke up this great group of girls and then all of a sudden made us start to have these inner battles and we had to go head-to-head in the ring with one another. Uh, We had to go to wrestling school. We all got – they dismantled us, basically, and then they put us all in the storyline. So I had to go in a month, learn how to wrestle, learn how to – and rule number one, and this is so, so important – you know, that we often shy away from, but I really talk a lot about in my book and my, and my program, is you've got to learn how to take what's called in wrestling a bump, how to take a fall, how to take a hit. And be able so to it's back called a bump if you fall? It's called a bump, yeah. It's called <laughs> okay. a bump. Being, falling down and hitting the mat is called taking a bump. And so that's one of the first things they teach you to do is how to fall and how to fall so that you absorb the shock, you know, yeah, it's still going to hurt, but so that it hurts the least amount. <laughs> so that you learn how to well, fall. Well, that makes sense, right? Yeah, so that that's you can Yes, yes. And, uh, and so I really did all sides of it. I had wrestling matches. I was a valet. I was a dancer. I was an on-camera host and interviewer. And uh, in, my, in my four years in the industry, I got to see many sides of it, and it was definitely, definitely an adventure that taught me 
so much in so many ways of, you know, kind of what I already, where I was already at in my life, but just gave such metaphors. And it is such an amazing metaphor for how we can really look at, at perceived challenges that really. Well, yeah, I like the metaphor of knowing how to take a bump because yeah. life is certainly going <laughs> to certainly it's filled with them, right? Up a few of those. <laughs> you bet. Oh, that is so interesting. So back up for a little bit and tell us more about you. What was your early life like? Because I am curious, what shaped someone who went from being a dancer to a wrestler to being a host and being out there? How did you get there, Melissa? How did you get started? Oh, my gosh. We all have such interesting stories, right? Yeah. Um, I, you know, I, I was that small-town girl. Um, grew up in the Northeast in a little town in Pennsylvania. Started dancing literally when I was two and a half years old. Started in ballet. Loved it. I mean, dance for me just became the place that just felt right, you know. And um, And then as... So many families do, unfortunately, as I grew um, and just danced and danced every year, kept loving it. My parents ended up getting a divorce. Now my mom became a single mom. Things had to be cut from the budget, and dance was the first thing to go. So I then had to go continue to study on my own, and my, my dance studio became my basement, and it became my time of, of solitude, of moving through pains of, you know, broken home, um, abusive stepfather, you know, all those types of things that unfortunately we hear far too often, but it really became my reprieve and my space to to heal, to express, and to grow. Mm. And so then, yeah, and I mean, it's it's amazing. It, it really is. Movement is so powerful. Yes, it is. Um, it absolutely yeah. is. Yeah. And, you know, and I loved it. So it not only gave me healing, but it also gave me a tremendous amount of vitality. And just part of my nature, I'm a Gemini. So I've got, I've got the genteel and the sassy side. <laughs> you know, I've got two sides that help okay. me make me whole. And so it really did give me a great space to, again, you know, kind of just express in, in different ways. And then um, – Went to college, continued, but got to actually immerse myself more into the dance culture. Took you know just a just a ton of um, additional dance classes and started to get. And I went to school down towards Philly. Got into the dance scene there, and I just loved it. I always made sure I kept it apart from Philly. I moved to Atlanta. And same kind of thing, just made sure, you know, I'm just going to keep dancing. I'm just going to keep dancing. And um, so health and fitness was always a huge part of who I was. Always, you know, I started working out in the gym when I was in six because I just loved movement. Um, as I moved down to Atlanta, I became, so I got for big. So all of this really started, I, I just, I'm still going, okay, she went from being a dancer to being a wrestler. That is amazing. Now, this I have to ask this. How was the training from dancing to wrestling different? Because that's completely a, a unique way to use your body. Yeah, it is. And, you know, I got to do the fun stuff off the top of the ropes and do the twists and the hurricane ratas. So I got to do things that were still very the what? What was that? Based. To do it's a what hur- off the ropes? Right, a what, what? A hurricane rata. Hurricane rata? Essentially, I'd have to jump on somebody's shoulders. I'd wrap my feet around their neck, 
And I would do I would do like a back bend. So I would bend back behind them, and then my momentum, my feet would then I would bend back and down and around and fling them with my feet across the ring. <laughs> okay, so you jump on somebody's shoulders, wrap your feet around, then fling them across the ring. Okay, yeah. we're going to be really careful around you. <laughs> I only had to do that a couple of times. It was exhilarating and totally terrifying. Oh my. God. Yeah, because, you know, look, I'm a dancer. I was afraid of getting hurt. I'm going to be really honest with you. So that's why the lesson of learning how to take that bump was so crucial so many times. And once I got over that fear, then it became really fun. It, it really did. because I, And it's, it's similar in a way to dance because you learn, for me, the way, I, the way I learned it and equated it is it was just choreography. It was learning how to move around a ring in a, in a different way because dance is very athletic and you know oh, absolutely dancers are elite athletes don't yeah. I know I have a daughter who's one and it just blows away the strength it takes yeah oh, goodness so I have the highest respect for dancers that's why I'm sitting here going in the red you know and I the, the say, same, yeah go ahead go ahead Oh, I was just going to say, you know, my, again, the majority of my time was more on the, the personality on camera, talking on the mic and dancing. And I was in the ring probably about the last six to nine months of my career in the industry because that's when they'd really broken us out. And, and trust me, we did it because we had to. We were young girls. We didn't, you know, again, wrestling didn't. I didn't go after it. It came to me, but I'm so glad it did. I mean, I would never trade it in for anything. It was such an incredible experience, such an amazing time. And, you know, with, you're with larger-than-life tune characters every day at work, and it's always fun. <laughs> mm, yeah, I get what you're saying about the cartoon character. Well, I'm glad you enjoyed it. I'm really glad you enjoyed it. Now, one of the things I know everybody is curious about i know that you're married and you have two children how is it for your husband being married to a wrestler <laughs> oh he loves it it's really interesting because he and i met after wrestling now ironically enough his best friend was one of my biggest fans like obsessive about spice 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 and so one day, you know, he finds out that I was Spice, and he's like, oh, my gosh, you, you don't even know how many times I had – Now, wait, explain met. for those who are uninitiated, like me, what is Spice? <laughs> so Spice was my stage name. So think like for Beyonce, she's got Sasha Fierce, I was Spice. And so that was my stage name. I wasn't out there as Dr. Melissa, although I have since they've, you know, coined me Dr. Spice um, since then on different interviews and, and some different things that we've done over the years. But, uh, yes, that was my stage name, just like The Rock. His real name isn't The Rock. You know, his real name is Dwayne Johnson. So you have a persona, and my persona was Spice. Was Spice. Got it. Okay. Yes. And All right. so, yeah, so it was really nice. My husband and I met kind of after wrestling, and so he, but again, the irony is he, he knew of me but didn't, couldn't care less about wrestling, which was so beautiful. It's like it meant nothing to him. He had no awareness. You know, he's just like, you're Melissa. You're, you're my love. And, and sometimes when he actually has come since then with me to some different reunion events, 
his first experiences, he was just in shock and awe because he was like, I can't believe this, this experience. I can't believe these fans. Like, they're waiting for you when we get here, and, and you haven't been on television. It was a whole new experience for him. But he's definitely not intimidated, and that's what I love about him. <laughs> he's a strong enough man that he's willing to call me on the carpet when I need to be on my own stuff, and also strong enough to allow me to shine all of my ways to shine. So I'm truly blessed, um, truly blessed with my husband. Oh, fantastic. Now, Melissa, from a little girl dancer where your parents ran out of money, you had to figure out how to keep dancing. You found the life of your dreams, which was entering the ring as spice. And, you know, what, what would you say really ignited for you the desire, because you went on then and became a chiropractor and a wellness doctor, how how did you make the switch? You know, everything was, for me, Dr. Brenda, such an interesting weave of just this, this beautiful interlace of, of divine timing. Uh, because I had, you know, like I said, the dance really set the groundwork for my love of health and wellness. And I grew up in the country. We grew up, before organic was what you went to Whole Foods to get, we grew up on a garden because we were poor. <laughs> we, you know, we ate deer meat every winter. So we had real organic grass-fed <laughs> venison and vegetables, you know, but I didn't take medicines. I didn't go to the doctor all the time. Um, I really learned how to listen to my body and, and honor and, and trust and know. And, you know, so I just grew up a bit more innately tuned in. Um, and again, just with my love of dance, that's again, field of fitness, health and wellness. I was, I was already headed down that route. When I had come to Atlanta, I had come down thinking I was going to go to law school and I uh, had come down and had a little bit of an identity crisis. This was right, this was before wrestling and I didn't know who I wanted to be when I grew up because the, the person I thought I was supposed to be just didn't feel right. It sounded right logically, but in my heart, that was not who I was destined to be. And so I said, you know, I know I love to dance. I know I love fitness. And so let me just vibe in this space for a little while. And that's what I did. I I ran a fitness department. I personal trained people. I danced all the time. And then chiropractic found me, much like wrestling. Um, Kind of that's a whole other long story, but I'll just do the short to say, hey, it found me. And interestingly enough, the way it found me, was my then boyfriend at the time who was going to chiropractic school said, you know what, honey, they have a dance team at the school and it's a paid job. It's a paid position for the university. And as long as you are, you know, a family or dating somebody that's at the school, you don't have to be enrolled. You can audition. So I went and I auditioned and I made it on the dance team. And um, I was involved with the university before I had even considered chiropractic. And then I was in this environment of people that were talking about natural health. And it was just, I'm like, wow, this is a language that I've lived. I just didn't know it had a name. I just didn't realize that this was something different or special. This is just how I've always lived, and this is my philosophy and my belief, you know, the body, the the power that heals the body, you know, made the body heals the body, and Mm -hmm. given the right conditions, but you know, this makes sense. I have to yeah. say this makes sense. When I, I start to look at your journey and I go, okay, yeah. dancing, yeah. it's physical. 
it takes a lot of the wrestling. Obviously, that that hurricane, whatever it was, move you talked about, you jump off the rope onto their shoulders, fling them across the ring. Boy, does that take not only the dancer's agility, but a dancer's strength. And it's really, really important to understand how the body works. So chiropractic actually makes sense to me when I track your journey. Yeah. And it does. You know, and I would never have put the pieces. I didn't consciously set out to say this is what I'm going to do because the conscious path completely just unraveled. And when I was looking at, you know, when I was there faced with that decision, I said, this isn't right. And that really does kind of tie in how do you make those transitions? Well, just like the theme of your show, Good Love, it is we're always going to be faced in every moment with choices. And we can make choices that move us closer to an alignment with our authentic, soulful calling, or they're going to move us further away from it. Now, I could have gone to law school. And I could have had a much different life. It would not have been nearly as juicy, as fulfilling, as, you know, colorful um, at all. I don't know. I'm not sure, Michelle, that I agree with you because I have a feeling that whatever you do, you're going to make it juicy (laughs) and colorful and fulfilling. I I think you would have been (laughs) representing the Spice Girls at this point or, you know, representing (laughs) Wide World of Wrestling. So you, yeah, you chose the path, though, that certainly opened the door for you yeah. to embrace healing. And yeah. that healing is something that has to have been there all along, that desire yeah. to make a difference. You know, and that, that's really where the magic of passion, as we think of passion, power, and punch, it is that desire or that willingness because, again, there's always going to be choices. There's always going to be we can be the victim, we can be the victor. But it's always it must begin with that there's even a desire to say, yeah, I might even care about that. And if you don't have a desire, no big deal. It's okay. You know, there's, there's different things that are right for each and every one of us. We don't all have to follow the same path. But when you're moved, when that desire really stirs the soul, it's to really create that life we love. We will have more of that in each present moment the more that we say yes to that desire as it stirs. And then we begin to say, I am willing. Not only will I say yes and and acknowledge that I desire this, but I'm willing to take a risk. I'm willing to step into that ring regardless of the outcome, knowing that I'm willing to go after it because I desire it and it matters enough to me. And that's what I really need. So with your desire, I want you to tell us more about the survey that you did. We yes. others oh, across the country yeah. and found that one in three women were reporting a fear of failure because when you talk about desire, mm. fear of failure has something to do with that, I think. Absolutely. Same side, you know, opposite side of the same coin because it's out of our desire innately as women. You know, that, that nurturing, caring part of us that wants to make everything that we touch you know, feel worthy, feel good, be a better place. We, we, wanna, we want the success. We want to be the successful wife and mother and parent and, and sister and, uh, you know, you name it. Whatever that title is, we want to innately be our best at it. So we have this inner drive for success because as women, you know, I think unconsciously and culturally, we're still, whether we want to admit it or not, there's this part of us for so long our identity has been compared to men 
men are stronger, better, faster, whatever those stereotypes have been over the generations. Right. So even yes. though, you know, even though as women we can fully embrace our power, there is still on an unconscious level this sense of we're less than. We're less than. So when we, you know, we may, and again, we don't consciously set out every day thinking, well, I'm less than my husband or my brother or I'm less than the lady next to me. We're not thinking that. But there is this programmed in, kind of generationally sent down into the very fabric of our, of our energetic pattern right now that's yeah. saying, yeah, I'm not there yet. And so if we're not there yet, that means we've got to keep striving, right? We've got to keep succeeding. We've got to yeah. keep so for going So for people who took the study... And you can really say, all right, the fear of failure comes from these intergenerational patterns. It comes from this way in which women have been programmed for generations. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. the study revealed something else about women wearing too many hats and driven to the need by the need to succeed. And, And just tell us more about these findings because I found when I look through your material, it's really interesting. Thank you. It, you know, it was. It was. It, it peaked so much for me that I can't wait. We've got several more follow-up surveys that are going to go out because the initial findings were just so, I shouldn't say surprising, but also very fascinating at the same time because, yes, we're wearing too many hats. Now, the biggest thing that that really leads to, of course, this fear of failure is the feeling of overwhelm. Now, another word for the failure, the overwhelm, that drive for constant success is literally, it's, it, the easy word is stress, right? So we all know, okay, we're stressed. We can easily say that, ah, but many of us wear it as if it's a badge of honor, meaning, hey, you know, when I'm stressed, that means I'm doing a lot. And if I'm doing a lot and I'm really busy, then that must mean I have value. That must mean I have worth. Ah. And as women, mm-hmm, because here's the big thing, the big finding is women truly, at their essence, they want to be appreciated. And think about it, Dr. Brenda. I'm sure yourself, even as a mother. Oh, yes. You know, everybody, right? <laughs> every woman, and, and every person wants to feel appreciated. Absolutely. Of course. Of and course. as women, if we know that our efforts are being genuinely appreciated, we'll push ourselves to the end of the earth and we'll keep doing it, you know. And, and again, it's not just a gender issue, but for women, because it's so much more intense for us because of the hats that we wear, again, with those multiple titles as mother, as daughter, as, you know, board member, as manager, as down the list it goes, right, as friend, it's, we're always we're always taking on more. And the last person we put the life vest on is ourself, when that needs to be the very first person. And that's not being selfish, that's actually being selfless by being willing to say, i got to get me right. Because if I don't, everything else, everyone else that I love and I care about is going to go, you know, the heck in a handbasket real fast because yeah, so I'm not one here. One of the things that's happening in what you're just saying, and I certainly have seen this in so many women, is the need to feel appreciated and valued by what we do and largely yeah. what we do for others. And, yeah. you know, you're, you're pointing right toward the exit sign, which is we have to exit the pattern by beginning to say, what am I willing to do to appreciate myself? That's right, and myself. that's the big one. That's right. So and what, I say, what did you find about, because there's a really important piece here. Let me just take my little yeah. highlighter 
but the yellow line on this one, which is that when women do this overgiving, it creates the feeling of overwhelm, which then creates more of the fear of failure. So right. we're connecting the dots. <laughs> and then right. we also we're able to say, gee, what do moms really want? Yeah. What do we really want? Well, of course, we want just we want permission to to appreciate ourselves is the real truth of it. We want permission to appreciate ourselves because oftentimes, again, we're not willing to put the life vest on us. And yes, we must. And it's it's hitting critical mass, Dr. Brenda, because I know that you speak on this often as well, the, the issues of what stress is doing to women and women's health. Now, on the standpoint of every day-to-day in my office and helping women deal with these chronic health conditions and acute health conditions, they are sourced in the stress, and not just the stress of the bad food and the bad sleep. That's a part of it, no doubt. But it's sourced in what's happening between the ears because, you know, my biggest contention is that we're so fast to point out bullies and point out he said, she said, and place fingers of blame when we need to realize what we're seeing, what we're referring to as reflection for many of us, of our own inner terrain and dialogue. You know, so I really want to challenge each and every one of us to say, okay, let me begin with them. If I want appreciation, if I want to succeed, Yes, it has to start within. You know, Melissa, there is so much more to talk about, and I want people to know how to be in touch with you and how to get your book. Everyone, Dr. Melissa Grill-Peterson wrote the book, Passion, Power, and Punch, Overcoming Overwhelm and creating the life you love. And I absolutely sign on to the life you love. Now, you can get hold of Dr. Melissa, and she won't do that hurricane thing where she jumps on your shoulders (laughs) and, uh, you know, all the rest of it. Uh, She's at triple dub dot doctor, that's D-R-M-G-P, D-R-M-G-P. And that's Dr. Melissa Grill-Peterson. Melissa, thank you. What a fascinating journey you have had. And thank you for sharing just a bit of it with us tonight. And we look forward to hearing more. Your mom's survey, very revealing. Ladies, take a note from Dr. Melissa and begin with appreciating yourself from the inside out. All right, Dr. Melissa, we certainly appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Brenda. It was a pleasure. I appreciate it. Absolute pleasure. All right, everyone. Get ready to welcome our next guest, who is Banafshe Akhlagi, who's a native of Iran. And Banafshe is one of the most interesting people and has blended, of all things, her law degree her human activism, and her spirituality. She immigrated with her family to the United States when she was five years old. She was a professor of constitutional law at John F. Kennedy School of Law before she became a highly acclaimed activist for civil and human rights. And boy, she's been on the fast track for years. She says all of that changed very dramatically when she attended a 10-day meditation retreat. We're going to find out from Banafshe. Hello, Banafshe. Hello, hello, hello. Good evening. How are you? I am great. I'm just so, 
thrilled to be with you, and I was listening intently to everything Melissa was saying, and I thought, oh, I can relate to that, I can relate to that, I can relate to that. What a dynamic human being. So um, I'm, I'm great. I'm, I'm thrilled to be with you, and I'm thrilled to be uh, sharing, really, Brenda, for the first time publicly, my journey. Mm-hmm. So it's, um, it's quite a moment right now. Oh, it is a big moment because what you have to share is so inspiring and so uplifting, and I love having this one-two punch, God help me, did I say punch, with you and Dr. (laughs) Melissa because she really showed how a woman's journey can evolve over time, and so does yours, Benache. So start out by telling all of our listeners more about your early journey. Sure, um, with delight. So as you said, I I was born in Iran, and I came to the United States um, at the age of five, but I was really supposed to be placed in a boarding school overseas in, in Europe because that's just kind of what uh, they did with children who their parents were part of the political infrastructure or such of Iran. So you can imagine, my mother at the time was 25, and she was going to come out to these foreign lands and um, leave her five-year-old behind. So she decided to come to the States first because she had two brothers who were international students at, um, at that time in the Los Angeles area. And um, upon arrival and upon looking around, she contacted my father, who was still back in Iran, and said, this isn't going to happen. You need to send some money. Um, if she's going to be educated in the States or abroad in Europe, I need to purchase a home and I need to stay with her because I can't leave her behind. Mm. So that's how we ended up here, which was a few years prior to the revolution, and then the revolution in 79 occurred, and my father then had to join us. Um, so my, my first memory at five, six, seven years old, Brenda, was... Um, ongoingly going to LAX airport, dropping off my father, who was spending time between here and um, the States and Iran because of his position, um, and saying goodbye and saying hello and saying goodbye and saying hello um, on his, his journeys back and forth. But I remember, I remember vividly being about five or six, as I said, and we were at LAX, and my father got on one knee and he looked at me directly in the eyes and because I was crying, this is the first time that he was about to depart, and he said, I need you to stop crying and be my big girl now. And now that I'm going, I need you to take care of your mother and your younger brother for me. Oh, wow. What a charge for a little girl. And how old were you? Five, six. Oh, my goodness. And in the moment, um, I stopped crying and then he kissed me on the forehead and I heard that action, you know, internally, um, that he sealed it with a, ki- with a kiss, like, I'm a big girl now. And so that was it. I just became a, a mini adult, um, translated for my mother wherever we would go and take care of my brother wherever we would go and started on my journey of education, um, skipped grades in elementary school, was, you know, graduating high school at 15 and a half, was it... Cambridge University at 18. I mean, I was fast-tracking at a level that I, and when I think about it, I can't even, my head spins. And, you know, was a professor at 27 of law and um, 
founded two organizations in my 30s, um, human rights organizations, worked with the United Nations. And by an 11, uh, when I decided that I wasn't going to explore a run for Congress, I sat back and I remembered having a conversation with my parents. It was November of 2011, and I just said, I'm exhausted. I'm just I'm, oh I haven't my stopped. God, who wouldn't be with what you just yeah. described? <laughs> yeah, I said I'm just Talk I can't. about being strapped in. Yeah, yeah, and you know none of it that I did I do, and I'm sure a lot of the listeners could relate to this, and I'm sure you could relate to this. You know, my passion was also driving me. You know, so it wasn't so much that it was an external desire for me, um, or maybe I should say it. it it uh, <laughs> it became blurred. I'm not sure where it was internal or where it was external any longer. But what I do know is that I, I also wanted to serve and I wanted to be in contribution and I wanted to, to make a difference in the world. And so I knew that I could do that with my law degree. And so, and I did. Um, but by, by that time, I just could not imagine getting up one more day doing what I was doing or doing anything for that matter. Yeah. So I remember having a conversation with my father. Um, we were taking a walk outside my house in Mill Valley, and I said, so I'm just going to take a couple of weeks to maybe a month off. And he said, okay, but don't let it be too long because then you won't get back to what's important. Mm-hmm. And, and before he could say it, I was already saying it in my own head. And so I decided... Um, and then sign up for the 10-day Vipassana meditation retreat. Oh, a silent retreat. Oh, my goodness. And I don't know. Are you familiar with it? Have you, oh, have yes, you I am. You better it? tell everybody else what it is, though. Okay. <laughs> it, is, <laughs> it is just um, it's challenging. I mean, it is just challenging. So you said silent. It's silent at a level that I never could have appreciated. So I heard silent, I read silent, and then you experience silent, which is really something else. So there's definitely, you know, no communication verbally, but they took it to the next level, which was no communication facially, so no facial expressions to one another, and no uh, physical connection. So if someone is standing in your way, um, during those 10 days and you need to get around them and there's no way to get around them, you can't tap them on the shoulder. You just stand there and wait until they move and, and so on. So it was, <laughs> it was a challenge, especially coming from someone who, is, you know, who, who fancies themselves as an orator and as an expressor and it was really, really well, And you are an orator and an expressor and just to be silent for 10 days... And I love that thing about you can't even make facial expressions. Nothing. That's a form of communication <laughs> for sure. It's really challenging. And I, you know, and I'm and I'm I'm Persian, so we use our hands and our face, and <laughs> not just our our voices when we express ourselves. So it was really really challenging. So on day three, uh, on day three, I started to look at my discomfort of being there. And my discomfort was everywhere. You know, we were in this outdoor setting, camp-like setting, beautiful redwoods around in Northern California, 
and there was no there was nothing around me to have created the feeling and the sensation that was coming up, which was I felt entrapped. Mm-hmm. I felt like I was, I, I just felt claustrophobic, Brenda. And there were these yellow caution signs that they had kind of put around the perimeter. Um, one of the essence of the Vipassana retreat is to uh, separate the male energy from the female energy. So the men and women are in different locations. We come, you know, they come together for meditation, but they're held different in different spaces. Mm-hmm. So part of the caution signs was to, you know, support and honor those spaces. But there was also just to, to create safety for us, you know, there's the roads or such. But I would go up to these yellow caution signs that were written in English and Spanish. It's like printed in my brain still. And I would just look at them and like, like almost growl at them as an, like an animal, that they were the bane of my existence, that they were holding me into the space. Mm. That, mind you, as I said, was not covered in any way. It was open blue skies and, you know. And I found my way around the caution sign because it wasn't completely pulled to the very end. And being an attorney, I had my arguments in place should anyone have found me on the other side of the caution sign. And I would go to this one location because it was at the, at the top end of the road, and it was the road leading to the camp site. And I would look at this road, Brenda, with this, this like, yearning to get out of there. Hmm. And so I just for you to, to let go of seeking and communicating it felt like a trap. Oh, my goodness. That as well as, so as you know, you know, from your experience better than most, that when we're silent, the internal voice rises, right? And by day three, it was so loud. And all I wanted to do was run. And by day four, I had to start focusing in on why do I want to run? And day five, I remember this, so clearly sitting there under this tree looking at this, this pathway leading up to the campsite. And I asked myself, what are you running from? Where is there to go? And then all of the words of my past relationships of the men that I was in relationship with started flooding my brain where they would say things like, Asha, you're just a runner. Asha, you've got one foot in and one foot out. And I would say, no, no, no. So here's, here's what it is. You're just not available. And in that next moment, I heard myself say, do we not attract who we are? Are we not mere images of one another? And it was one of those bad news aha moments mm. that, wait, so am I attracting unavailable men because I am unavailable? I didn't. I had never seen that. I didn't think that could wow, have been possible. I'm such a, yes, I'm so committed. I'm so loyal. I'm so there for these people. And you know, four-year relationships, seven-year relationships, and they, you know, we have engagements and we have engagement dates. But something happens. What happens? And so, I got that I was a runner. When I came back on my after my uh, meditation retreat, what I didn't share with you. Because prior to leaving, days prior to leaving, 
a friend of mine who had been my friend for 10 years up until that point. And I started to date just days before. And what led to our dating, we had uh, gone for a hike and as we always did, just hung out and he started sharing about the kind of man that he had seen me with in his mind's eye. And, you know, it was to me a very kind of like that, that generic guy. Um, and I'll, I, it might sound funny to hear this as a generic guy, but it's kind of like the men that had been in my sphere. You know, they're political types and they speak multi-languages and they've gone to the such and such schools and, you know, they're that, those kinds of guys. To which I said, if, if it was going to be one of them, it would have been one of them by now. I'm not interested in that. And he said, um, well, what I know is that it wouldn't be someone like me. Mm-hmm. And I just stopped uh, dead in my tracks and I said, you've considered it to be you. And he said, well, yes, of course. And then the next thought was, and I said out loud, but you've held your own desires aside for what you think is best for me. And he said, yes, of course. And there are only two people that I know on the planet that have ever held their own desires aside for what's best for me, and yeah. it's my mother and my father. So I thought to myself, There's, I've got to give this man a, a different look that I have been at, since <laughs> for the last decade. So I said, why don't we give it a go, and then went to this 10-day meditation retreat. Came back, and as I was sharing with him what came up for me, I shared with him that I'm a runner. Mm-hmm. And that so you run lady, from love, yeah? I run from love. Yeah. Oh, bless and, your heart. And you're not alone. You are not alone, Benafshe. So many people run from the very thing they want. Yes. Yes. You know, and it's it's so in your blind spot. It was so in my blind spot. You know, I had. Um, I'd been able to do anything else I had set my mind to. You know, I was I was representing people during the heat after 9-11 and was prevailing on cases that shouldn't have been. You know, I've, I've written uh, <laughs> policy on educating and bringing women's and children's rights languaging into uh, the legal system in Iraq. Like, there's some things that I've done that, that – there wasn't much that could stop me when right. I would put my mind around Except it. Except love. And it makes sense because, and I know you've already worked on this, having your dad, whom you loved, not be there with you, with your mom, mm-hmm. those formative mm-hmm. years. You know, that leaves an imprint. So for everybody, you know, we know part of what we look at on this program is how what happened then can shape what happens now. And mm-hmm. then what we're hearing from Banafshe is how you can leave it behind. How Free. you actually <laughs> leave it behind. So yeah. Banafshe, once you had this conversation with your, in quotes, friend, you went away to the retreat, right? Yeah, well, I came, back, I came back from the retreat and shared this with him. And he said, uh, I got that, and I'll just hold the space for you. So for the next year, it became this, you know, reprogramming, literally my brain, Brenda, where something would arise outside, I would look at it, 
and then I would, my first impulse would be, I'm running. I'm, this is not good. SOS, you know, and it could be anything like, I don't know, he has a hangnail. I mean, it wasn't something that was substantial, like there wasn't abuse or anything like this. It was something very, very small, and it, we could have talked it through, but I would take it to the level of, I need to run. This is, there's danger here. It's not going to go yeah. well. The success yeah. won't be here. And and he just kept standing, and he just kept standing, and he just kept standing. And by nearly the end of that year, um, after I had taken a nine-month uh, sabbatical, I literally left everything and went to Napa Valley and uh, said I'm going to just take some time off and really was focused on my relationship. And then all of a sudden, Brenda, writings started coming out and mm. writings in ways that I had not ever thought of before, prose and prose about love and the essence of who we are and, uh, you know, just at, just at this core level. Wow, but the key here up. is that something in that retreat really shifted for you. So that you could see, and this is this is part of why the silence is so powerful, you could see what your mind, you could actually reprogram your mind. Absolutely right. Wow. You know, the, the retreat um, consisted of uh, something close to 10 hours of meditation per day. Oh, I love and it. And so during the time that you're in that state, you know, and I know that you're a proponent of meditation. And when you're in that state, you're in the state of ongoing um, rediscovery, right, um, of your breath and of your body and of your movements and just, I, I mean, really present to the level of your, the tip of your nose. <laughs> you know, it's really, really detailed. Yeah. So as you're doing that level of uh, detail, uh, concentration when you're not in that state of meditation it what I started to see for myself is that it freed up my my thought patterns to be able to see things uh, feelings experiences um, that I hadn't seen before or had seen them but hadn't seen them in that light right uh, yeah so yeah. for you you went from the meditation, and everyone, trust me, you've, you've heard me talk about meds, which are the solution to healing, anxiety, depression, and above all, lowering stress in our bodies. And M stands for meditation, E for exercise, D for diet, and then we have sleep, and after sleep we need support. But meditation is first in that little formula because it does give us these tremendous anxiety-lowering events, although it's clear that one of the things that happened for you, Vinashe, was first you felt a lot of anxiety. That came mm. first. But then the meditation Absolutely. kind of flushed it out, didn't it? So then now, Alice, we only have a couple of minutes left. After you <laughs> came back and he stood and stood and stood and your fear couldn't scare him off, what happened? <laughs> Well, what happened is um, he he did the most traditional thing. Uh, he asked my father for my hand on, oh, <laughs> on Thanksgiving, oh, and oh. Um, 
and my father gave him, you know, a little bit of a, of a twist and a turn and a this and a that for 72 hours and had him waiting for his mom. <laughs> Your father um, tortured the poor guy. Of course, of course. He had to, right? <laughs> oh, my God. And then oh. he he, uh, he came to me and he said, um, Dasha, I, you know, he, he proposed. Um, and then after his proposal, he said, I really don't want to wait long. Um, so we had a civil cer- ceremony in uh, April of last year, and then we had our state Now, how union. long did you wait after the proposal? Oh, three months. Three months, good. Three okay. months, nothing. Three yeah. months and a civil um, ceremony, and then... And, and then we had the... the um, so just a lovely sacred union on Kauai in September with 30 of our family, our parents. Um, and, yeah, and, you know, now what I get to do um, is I get to, Brenda, be in this whole new uh, space because I've added an additional way of being, and that additional way of being is being wife, being partner, um, being unioned. And these are ways of being that I, I don't, you know, I hadn't learned how to be. So we get to do that together, Jim and I, and um, it's, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's bliss. Yes, it's yes. And speaking of meditation, yeah. um, you know, one of the great Buddhist teachers is Stephen Levine, who went to his meditation teacher after he met a woman he fell in love with, Andrea, and said, mm-hmm. I've fallen in love with this woman, and she's in one of my death and dying groups, and I, I love her, but I can't marry her. The teacher said, oh, you mean because uh, she's dying, because she's ill? He said, oh, no, 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 no. That, you know, I'm undaunted. I know that love can heal her illness, but what I'm worried about is if I get married, it'll pull mm-hmm. me off my spiritual path. And his teacher mm-hmm. said, get married. It's the best yeah. spiritual path you'll ever find. So I, I just uh, want to say to you that. and Jim, you have found a deep love and a deep confirmation that spiritual growth will lead you to whatever it is you desire in your life, even if you've had patterns that kept you from So Banafshe, thank you so much My for sharing pleasure. your story. How inspiring. Uh, many people are going to be going on spiritual spiritual retreats, <laughs> and I understand that you love being a wife. I do. I, I really do. And we're going to be looking forward for your book of prose that's coming out soon called Beautiful Reminders. All right, everyone, you must look for Beautiful Reminders. We'll have you back, Banafshe, dear, when that Thank book comes you. out. So everyone, look forward to our upcoming guest. Chris Michaels, The Power of You, Phyllis Newhouse, The Science of Getting Rich. Join me May 24th and 25th for Healing Toxic Love. Thank you, LeGrand Green, and who is our wonderful producer, and Cliff Dunning, our moderator and producer. Such a joy to be with you all. Blessings.